0: Alright, so we are continuing on our series in Ecclesiastes, and we're coming to the second, it's a part two sermon on time, okay? So we're going to be talking about time again, and um, one of the things that uh, Kohelet talks about in in chapter three is that there's a complexity to time Um In that there are both good seasons and bad seasons, and we ought to view our lives with a both-and approach, not an either-or approach. And so we're going to talk about what that that is and how helpful that can be. And so this is from Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to read the first verse of chapter 3, and then verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to skip to chapter 7 and read three verses from chapter 7, okay? So this is God's word to you today, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. In Ecclesiastes 7 verses 8, 10, and 14, better is the end of a thing than its beginning And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this. In verse 14, In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Okay, so it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence, and what we do in that moment is that it's a time to remember that God is present with us, and that is actually all we ever need, that His presence is here among us in our midst, and that is what will fortify us to get through seasons of our life to understand the times. And so we're asking God by His Holy Spirit to remind us that that's true. Okay, so we'll spend some moments in silence and we'll look at this passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this exact moment. We ask that you would help us to be present uh, mentally, emotionally, at the soul level, that we would be okay with being exactly where we are. Um, and we know that there are many uh, distractions that come to us, whether that's internal thoughts or distractions about how we ought to use this particular time. But we're here, Lord. We're here because we want to hear from you. And so, would you speak to us by your Spirit? Would you tell us eternal truths? Um, and would you reveal to us the beauty? of Jesus, and that He is the point of all time, that everything centers around Him. And so help us to see that right now, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so this passage teaches us that time, the biblical view of time, is uh, complex, it's humble, and it's good. So as you think about the seasons of your life, as you think about how to navigate time, think about time. The biblical view of time is that it's complex, it's humble, and good, okay? So point one, the complexity of time, I'll reread verses one and three through four. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under the sun, or under heaven, verse three, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh and a time to mourn, and a time to dance. The original and the dance can be translated, a time to skip about. Um, and just for reference, that word for kill is different than what's used in the Sixth Commandment, for instance, on murder. Um, but what Kohelet is helping us to understand in that whole section is to discern how to navigate seasons that are complex in nature, sadness and joy, Okay. Mourning and dancing, harm and healing. And what Kohelet is saying is that in this world, underneath the sun, there will be a mixture of different types of seasons of your life. Some are better than others, okay? Um, For instance, for instance, we're coming up on the fourth anniversary of COVID, when COVID shut our world down, shut the church down four years ago. now as you think back on that what you know the the hard things about covid were very noticeable so there is social isolation there is death there is fear there is polarization but as you think about that season of our life or the world was there anything good what would you say to that? I know this is not everybody's experience, and I, and I get that, but often what I heard was it was a beautiful time of getting to share a lot of downtime with, with loved ones. Um, it felt like life slowed down, like it became less busy, and there was no expectation to show up to things or social obligations, and it was sweet. It was sweet for um, particular people. Now, Kohelet would say... Both things can be true at the same time. Uh, This view of time allows us to name uh, grief while also holding on to hope, which is very, very unique. And so I've been saying this for years. The Christian view of what a human being should, should feel is to be able to hold on to realism and hope at the same time. We should be hopeful realists in each season of our life. Meaning, we can name the terror, or the injustice, or the sin of a particular person, or your own life, or the past, while also having goodness in the midst of what you're experiencing. Both can be, both can be true. And Kohelet says, the, the, the foolish way is to think that life is just always supposed to be good, or life is always terrible. Those are the foolish spirals that we get into and how we process time. So I've used this example before. If you go to a particular part of our country, it's in the southeastern quadrant. You'll see a lot of shirts in this place called Hilton Head that say, life is good, you know, and everybody's like real kind of like tan and happy and, you know. Um, And if you go to the other portion of the United States, Port Townsend, um, near Seattle, the shirts have the same design, but it says life is crap. And in that uh, are two very different perceptions of what the world is about. And what wisdom allows you to do is to both say that both views are accurate and inaccurate at the same time. Wisdom allows you to both agree and disagree with assessments in a given culture at a given time within a given season while maintaining relationships with others and having a sense of yourself instead of feeling very disintegrated. And you're like, well, which one's true? How do I interpret life? How do I interpret the time that I live in? Um, So what do I mean by that? So like, have you ever... Have you ever uh, transitioned into a, a different season of life and had somebody come to you and say, you know what you like? You're different than you used to be. You used to be happy, and now you're sad, or vice versa. And the implication is, this is the current you is not who you really are. Has anyone ever done that to you? <laughs> it can feel... Very alienating, uh, and it can feel like somebody's not taking into account the complexity of what you are becoming as a human being, as you experience the different seasons of life, the good and the bad. And what Kohelet says is that, look, you can be both sad and happy at the same time. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's because time is complex. Time's complex. Ambivalence. You can feel conflicting emotions at the same time, given what season of life that you're in. That's part of what he's saying in chapter 3. Okay? Time is complex. Point two, Kohelet cautions us towards humility in his assessment of ourselves and others in each season of life. So the wise view time with humility, And this is probably one of the most practical things that we can think about right now. Chapter 7, verses 8, 10, and 14 say this, "...better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit." Verse 10, "...say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this." And verse 14, "...in the day of prosperity be joyful." And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Okay, so um, what these verses teach us is that wisdom does not prefer the past, nor does it know the future. Okay? It's a tough one. Wisdom does not prefer the past, nor does it know the future. And maybe some of you have experienced this. You you return to a place that you maybe grew up in, or an area, or you go back to uh, an area where you spent some time of the past, and you're like, I want to go back there because of all the good things that happened and then and then what, what ends up happening. You go back and you're just like, I mean, this doesn't feel like anything that it felt like back in the day. And the reason why is because you've changed over time in each season of your life. And also, in addition to that, that place has changed. And part of what Kohelet is saying is that we ought not to long for the past but we ought to learn from it. It's hard. Don't long for the past. Learn from it. Time, especially if you've had some sort of idyllic experience in the past, you've got to be careful because time can act as a preservative and it can trap you into being a fool because you always want to get back there. And that's, what, that's exactly what verse 10 says in chapter 7. Don't say, why were the former days better than these? Preferring the past is unwise and can blind and embitter us to the present moment that we're actually in. And so we can't be present because we're always wanting to be back there in the past. So, Andy Dillard says, the absolute is available in every age. Listen to this. There never, there never was a more holy age than ours, and never a less. What she's saying is that the potential for God's presence in a given age is never more challenging or less in this given moment. I'm not sure I've, I've heard many people ever talk like this. And it's very much in line with what Kohelet is saying. He says, nostalgia is not wise. Cynicism is not wise. Generate, generationally, okay, we got to think about this in our present moment. Generationally, it is very, very easy for us to judge each other. And we have five generations living in this current moment, five. And just because we're all experiencing the same time in this current moment, we are having vastly different interpretations of our time, okay? And so the question is, how can we move forward together in this particular time, in this particular season? Verse 14 is, is the wisdom of the day, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. If there's good things, you can, you can rejoice in that good. But in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, <laughs> so that man may not find out what will come after him. So, that's a very, very difficult verse to practice, but here's partially what it can lead us towards. It can lead us towards generational humility. It can lead us towards being humble with the time that we're actually in. Meaning, if we do not know the immediate future, and none of us do, we can learn from each other. We're all in the same boat. We can listen with curiosity. And we're all in need of wisdom Because none of us knows what tomorrow holds. We can work with one another, not against one another, even when we differ. How? So, for instance, how? Some of us in this room, we're more doom and gloom. We're like, it's coming. It's all going to spiral down. It's going to get dark, you know? And some of us are like, you know, Hallmark. No, no, it'll be fine, you know? And our tendency is to kind of dismiss the particular take. And oftentimes, a generation will have a dominant take. And how we are to learn from people that we disagree with is that wisdom recognizes that there actually is a difference between loving confrontation and and blaming. Blaming. Blaming often looks... At people and categorizes them, doesn't treat people as individuals. Uh, blaming looks like naming people, naming certain generations a particular way. Um, and what often happens is that we elevate our tribe or our generation over against another. And what wisdom does, and this is the beauty of what especially the early Christians begin to practice, um, wisdom leans in, when they don't understand, wisdom leans in with curiosity and asks questions without an agenda. Okay? So, when confronted, a wise person, even though there may not be an alignment on a particular issue... What a wise person does is that they have the humility to take one's experience and perception of reality seriously, which dignifies the other, which humanizes the other person. Man, um, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if like people start doing that? Each generation has seasons of harm and healing. And it's disingenuous and, and prideful not to recognize both. You know, Jesus told these parables trying to help us understand it's weeds and weed growing up together. And to try to separate them out is, is not wise. And we must all have the, the humility and the presence to say, you know, I, I am making mistakes right now that I don't even know I'm making And in the future, if those mistakes are ever revealed to me that I was foolish in some ways, through humility, God can help me see how he is at work in fresh new ways. And it can be enlivening so long as I'm not too prideful to say, yeah, I messed up. So um, just to show you how practical this is, you know, the early church, the early church was struggling Because they had two different tribes in it. One was called the Gentile tribe and one was called the Jewish tribe. And the big question on the ground level was how are the Gentiles going to be included into what we would call being Christians? And the Jewish Christians were like, it literally says for them to get circumcised. It's in the Bible to follow the law. That it's it's here in our holy scriptures, and so they had this big debate. They had this big debate in Acts fifteen, and one from that tribe, his name was James. One from that tribe that was very committed to the circumcision party, at one time, stood up and said, "Brothers, brothers, we should not hinder our Gentile brothers and sisters. We got it wrong." And Paul and Simon, they're seeing God work in a different way. He had the wisdom, and then James begins to write a whole letter to the church in Asia Minor on what that wisdom looks like in terms of how we speak, in terms of how we act, in terms of how we live in the midst of the world. So here's a question. Here's a question. If you could go back and tell yourself something. Ten years ago aside from like investing in the stock market in particular ways, right? Um, but if you could give yourself wisdom, your 10-year-ago version of yourself, and you could say something that, that would actually help you get through the next decade, what would you say? What would you say to yourself? What wisdom would you impart to yourself? If in 10 years, I'm going to look back at my current self and say, there were some foolish ways I was acting. Scripture says we can't escape the present foolishness, and so we must be humble. It's the spirit of pride to think that we are going to be better or worse than previous generations. We don't know yet. We don't know the end yet. That's what the Scripture says. Verse 8, and we can't find out anything after us. Verse 14. And so the tendency when a lot of times when you hear Ecclesiastes, you're just like, man, this is so freaking depressing. Like, what do we do? Um, it is supposed to lead us to Jesus, the one that's greater than Solomon. So, is there any good news about time? Yes, uh, Jesus is the display, walking wisdom of how to walk with humility in the complex world. So if you think about the seasons of your life, the particular seasons of your life that may have been hard, think about Jesus' life. Did Jesus have good seasons? He he didn't have a home. He uh, was not well liked by his family. He was on the wrong side of the major religious institution of his day, and also the secular institutions of his day. And if you go back and just read the Gospels, what you'll notice is that Jesus was extremely content. You, you would see that he is actually very okay with exactly where he is that he's not trying to escape his time. Now, the early church, in the implication of being his followers in the aftermath of his resurrection, they saw that in the and this was not like uh, admirable stuff in the Roman culture, but they saw that to be slow to speak, to be patient, to be impartial, and sincere in how you interact with somebody was actually a better way to be a human being than to be quick to speak and angry and impatient. And what they were doing is that they were learning the secret of contentment, living out what Jesus taught them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I know we all think that we're lucky and blessed and happy when like good stuff happens, but that's not the way that he operates. He says, you're actually blessed when you're crying, you're actually blessed when, when you get hurt because you're standing up for my name. When people revile your name because you want to honor my name. You're actually blessed when you are meek. You know what meekness means? It means hidden strength. And that the meek will inherit the earth. And so as you assess your life and the seasons of life that you're in, Jesus says, do you want to become a person... Who, when the storms come and you get tossed about in the midst of hard seasons of life, do you want to be a person that's unflappable? Then build your life on me, he says. Build your life on what I say. Build your life on his kingdom. Let him become your foundation. And if you know Jesus will never leave you, no matter what age or season you're in, you do not have to be driven by fear. Fear does not have a place in the midst of God's people. It doesn't. And you know what happens when you don't fear? We begin to creatively meet the needs of our given moment. The gospel creates humble, confident, and hopeful people, no matter what age they're in, and they risk, they risk change in the midst of whatever complex and challenging time they're in. You know, Henry Ford, when he created the first automobile, remember what he said? He said, if I would have asked what people wanted, they would have said, faster horses. What would people have wanted from the Messiah in the first century. You ever think about that? 150 years before Jesus came on the scene, there was a guy named Judas Maccabeus who went to town on the Greeks and he was strong. He invented guerrilla warfare, essentially. And the first century wanted a Messiah like that. They wanted to fight strength with strength. And that wasn't just like the dominant aura of the Jews in the first century. That was also in the minds and in the hearts of Jesus' closest followers like Peter. And if you imagine when Jesus was arrested, just what it would have done to his body, you know, to the indignity of like taking somebody and chaining them up who was innocent. Like, what did Peter do? He responded uh, instinctively and cut off the dude's ear. And what did Jesus say? You remember what he said? He said, "Peter, like I, I can call down the angels. I can literally do that." And what he, he was claiming to be God, he was in the Old Testament the Lord of Hosts. That's the commander of the angel armies. And so, what Jesus is doing is saying, "Look." In this time, I am letting evil swallow me. That's what I came to do. I'm letting the bad circumstance of what of what I'm called to do completely overtake me. And the reason why he did that is to show us that there is no other human being like Jesus. He is the only one. He's the one who created the Sun and, and came to live life under the Sun. Um, when he came down two thousand years ago, uh, he completely changed our understanding and concept of time. And now time revolves around him. He changed the course of how we even think about time. And I'm not talking about like B.C. and A.D. because we changed that, you know, B.C.E. And um, I'm not talking about that cultural stuff. I'm I'm talking about he he altered how we view time. Um, I saw, I drove down to Texas uh, on Monday, and it was it was interesting because I got to see the sunrise and the sunset in the same day. Um, and logically, you know, if you're just thinking purely like in observational terms, it sure seems like the sun revolves around us, you know? Like if you're, ju- if you're just like watching the thing, right? And what was, what was so risky that Copernicus did is that he just simply asked the question, um, what if we're not the center of our observations? And I think that's part of the point of the gospel. When it comes into your life, like, your life becomes about Jesus. It becomes centered around something else, and Jesus changes your perspective. And the reason Jesus changed the world was that he actually, he actually was the center, and is the center, and yet he made you the center of his heart. That's how he changed the world. And so, um, back to like the ground level of how you may be processing this particular season of your life. You may be in a hard season. You may be in a good season. Um, one of the hymn writers says, and I've always loved this line, one of the hymn writers says, I don't know the way to go. Some of you need to make a decision here soon, you know, as you don't know what to, the decision to make. Um, I don't know the way to go. But, oh, I know my God. His love can never fail. Scripture's view of time recognizes its complexity. It addresses the present moment with humility. And it looks for good in the future. And goodness will come if you have his love. And his love is always available to you. Uh, God is with you. God will always be with you, um, and He's at work through you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time that You've given us um, this morning, and we ask that You would change us into people who know how to Sabbath, who know how to rest, who know how to be right where we are, um, who aren't always trying to escape our present circumstance. When I think about You, Lord, I'm getting jostled about and... Unjustly handcuffed and beaten, um, you didn't. You didn't seek to escape that. You're like a sheep led to the slaughter, and you did not um, defend yourself. And so I ask that we would fulfill what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, as Paul teaches us in Colossians, that we would be that body, your body, um, and that we would know that we are in line with uh, Paul, you know, you're showing us what we can suffer for your name's sake. Not to pay you back, Lord, but this is all that we can do. Um, We give you ourselves back because that's where joy is, that's where life is. And so would you do that now? In Christ's name, form in us uh, the Spirit's presence. In Christ's name, amen.